what I'd like to start with is, we're talking about envy, we're talking about jealousy. All of us experience envy, all of us experience je jealousy, but not very many of us probably talk about it all the time, uh, because we don't want to say, oh, I was so jealous the other day, blah, 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 and then, then people will think we're horrible Christians, right? No one wants to do that, or at least horrible humans. But we all know we feel it, we're all in the same boat, but we're not talking about it. So in order for us to maybe talk about it, anonymously, you can... Um, I'm going to give you some minutes. I'm even going to stand here and stare at you and sip coffee. So I'm going to give you a few minutes. Go to this site, either on your phone or, or if you're online, redeemermcr.com slash ask. It doesn't take any personal information. It will be an anonymous form that gets emailed to me about what you might be envious of or and or what you might be jealous of. And I'll bring it up kind of later on in the sermon. And I think it's just a helpful thing to read off. Oh, like, yeah, me too. Oh, yeah, me too. And all of a sudden we realize, oh, yeah, me too. We're all kind of in the same boat of need together. So just take a few minutes or 30 seconds and uh, just kind of submit what you might be envious or jealous of. And I'll go first in a minute so you guys don't all feel bad about yourselves. Uh, see, all of us envy something. All of us want something that we don't have. All of us are jealous. Jealousy is like protecting what we do have or what we think we have. I mean, for myself, it wasn't really until I moved to Trollton that I was like, huh, I'd really like to own a house one day. But living centrally in Trollton, it's just not going to happen. Not on a pastor's salary, but we want to be here part of the church. So it's just, that's just a reality of life. But I, even running around, I can be envious of it. I can be jealous of my time, especially if it's like if, I had, if I've had a long day uh, and it's Colin's asleep and we're just hanging out and we're on the sofa. I'm like, this time is my time. And nobody shall kind of infringe in this. I'm going to protect this. I'm very jealous of that time. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not a good thing. I think as we're all coming out of lockdown, we're going to be a lot more jealous of our me time than we were before just because we've been used to it. That's probably not going to be a good thing if we want to be people who are actually living as a family together. There's loads of things I could talk about, how I'm envious, how I'm jealous. And we'll talk about more kind of as we go. Um, and we'll talk about your responses um, in a bit as well. So... We all know envy and jealousy hold us back. No one would say, that's great, let's be more envious, let's be more jealous. We all know it's a bad thing. We all know it holds us back from being good human beings. And in, but yet, at the same time, um, we feel those feelings. We still, we're still there. So there's some element where, even though we don't want to, we are holding on to them, even though we know it's not good for us. That's, based, that's called like ambivalence to change, something every human being experiences. We want to be somewhere better, we're not, we're here, but we kind of are comfortable in the part that's maybe like 80% okay. And really the problem though, in our power, we can only, maybe, slightly manage it. We can't even like, have any hope to be transformed through it in our own power. We can't really transform ourselves. But Jesus has come to not just allow us to manage the stuff that holds us back, but to free us from it, to transform us as we walk through it together. And more than that, even in our broken experiences of jealousy, in, the, in those feelings, we are reflecting a little bit of who God is. And we'll talk about like, kind of the positive aspects of, of jealousy. And in, in, what, what this tells us, though, in our own even broken experiences of jealousy, we get to reflect the God who is there, which is kind of an amazing thing. So we'll talk about um, our experience of jealousy and envy. Uh, we'll talk about how it holds us back. We'll look to living a life beyond envy and jealousy, and then we'll also um, be looking at how God is jealous himself. And we're mostly going to be sticking here in Psalm 73, just as kind of a nice little package for us to stay there. So let's first start talking about what it is to experience envy and jealousy. 
Um, and first, let's define our terms. Envy is wanting something you don't have. So you see something over there, you want it, that's envy. Now, jealousy is trying to protect something that you already have, or at least maybe you think you have, like my time on the couch, or it could be a partner or a spouse, that you could be jealous for them. Uh, now, when we're envious, if other people have that thing, we aren't really happy that they have that thing. We resent the fact they have that thing. You can't be envious and joyful at the same time. Those things don't coexist. And the same thing with, with jealousy. When we're in that kind of abusive, protective, kind of jealous mode, we can't truly be enjoy the thing that we're protecting and, and having in front of us. So here's uh, maybe some examples. Uh, I don't think we need to maybe belabor this, but just to kind of give some envy example. Um, you hear someone else doing something that you want to do. Has that ever happened over lockdown for anyone? No? No? Okay. Or maybe you're like, oh, memories. Remember we used to travel. Remember airplanes. Remember those things? Well, you, you want what that other person is doing, and you don't have it, and that desire then turns into resenting that other person. That's a bad thing. That's why envy's bad. You want what you don't have, and therefore resent the other people who do. Uh, jealousy, uh, I've talked about this, I guess maybe to, to belabor the point. Your time after dinner, or when the kids are down, or you know, your day off, or whatever it is. Uh, that's your time. No thing, no person will possibly intrude on your time, because that's your time. I want to keep something that I have for myself. I mean, even in the garden, Adam and Eve were envious of God. They wanted to be like God. That was like they were envious of being God, and they chose to be God for themselves. Didn't really work out that well, and it doesn't work out well for us either because we're in the same issue. We have the same issue. So lockdown's given us lots of opportunities to live in envy and in jealousy, either retreating to your sofa or kind of hating the people that are doing the things that maybe they shouldn't be doing, but you don't care, like you'd be doing that too if you could, if you'd get away with it, you'd do that thing too. We're all kind of in that mix. And here in Psalm 73, envy and jealousy are really honestly uh, being talked about. So if we look at verses uh, 3 through 5, if you have it in front of you, um, this is you know, someone being super honest. I envy the arrogant, arrogant people. Okay, we don't want to be arrogant, but we kind of envy the stuff that they get. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked... Those people get everything, and they're wicked. What's the deal? I I envy them. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy. Their bodies are strong, just like kind of any Instagram influencer, right? Like, oh, they look perfect. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Like, that is what we really want. And verse uh, verse 12, this is what the wicked are like, always free of care, amassing more wealth. I want to be free of care. I want to amass more wealth. Maybe I should kind of... I don't know, be more like them. When people aren't living good lives and seem to be rewarded for it, we aren't overcome with a sense of justice, so maybe we kind of might Christianize our experience that way. We aren't happy that people are experiencing grace regardless of how they got it. No, we want it for ourselves. We really want it for ourselves. And I think we have a messed up view of this and we call it fairness. Like, if I can't have that thing, then nobody can have that thing, and that's what we call fair. Everyone will be equal, equally miserable, to my level of misery. Like, that is what fairness is like for the envious, for the jealous. But look at um, verses 4 through 5. I, again, I think this is, again, I'm going to read it again, because I think this is exactly what we see on our screens. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy or strong, and they're free from common human burdens, they're not plagued by human ills. They have the good life. I have all these difficulties. Why can't I just be more like them? And this is why social media works so well, because we're all simultaneously jealous and envious, and 
We all want to project that false reality about ourselves. We all want to be seen as healthy and strong. We want to be seen as not having struggles. It's like we put all the good stuff on, online, right? What about the real things, like the difficult conversation you had with your partner, whatever the thing is? Well, what do we think? Look at verse 13, exactly what Asaph thinks. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. What good is faith if I'm afflicted all day long? As it says in verse 14. What good is my faith if every morning brings new punishments? Why am I doing this thing? It's a lot more difficult to do this thing than to not. See, envy and jealousy can easily give way to blind ambition. Now, ambition in general is a gift from God. It can be a really good thing. We're all called to live a holy ambition, to take risks, to do things we wouldn't normally do otherwise. That's what a life of faith is like. But blind ambition is one that, kind of by its definition, doesn't see the larger picture. It's like blind ambition, you're zero in on on your thing. And the focus is too narrow. So Solomon, um, writing in Ecclesiastes, says this, And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. All toil, all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. Keeping up with the Joneses is something that was going on even in the Old Testament times with Solomon. It's always been with us. We always want to do more and to do better than the people around us. But this is where envy and jealousy can seem like a possibly a good thing because it can be fuel for ambition. Like we see, oh, they have that car, they have that thing, or that's their house, or whatever, they, they did the renovation thing. Maybe we should. And in order for me to do that, I mean, you have to work more, put more time into whatever the thing is. And it just, it's like this cold war of, ma- of wealth that kind of gets fought against each other. It's tricky, though, um, because on the outside, it, it, envy and jealousy may not be obvious, but on the inside, it's kind of what's going on in our hearts. For example, your career can be based on an envious response of the false ideas of what a good life is. The good life is getting the things, being comfortable, you know, having a good kind of middle class kind of experience. Or it could be uh, your family. Uh, how you go about leading your family can be based on jealousy. This is me time. This is our time. This is my time with the kids. Nothing will ever happen to this. This is what I get. We organize our family events around ourselves first in order to protect what we already have. Or friendships. Like, as much as you might enjoy your friends, you can just as easily be ba- that friendship can also just as easily be based on wanting what they have so you hang out with them. Those are the kind of people you want to be like so you hang out with them. You don't really care about them. You just want the lifestyle. Or maybe your friendship group is such that it's not really meant for anyone else but yourselves, which is an overly protective kind of jealous thing. Now, careers, families, friendships, those are obviously those are all really good things. And it's good to protect elements of that, but to go into like overprotective mode is not good. It's good to be to want to grow in your career and to be ambitious in your career, but to be kind of for that to come from envy and jealousy is obviously it's not a good thing. So let's um I'm gonna bring up here what are some of the things that we might be envious and jealous of. Let's just start reading. Oh wow, you guys sent a lot of things in. We got a lot of envy and jealousy going on. That's good. Oh, this first one I love it. Greg Wilson's facial hair. I love you, whoever said that. It's probably Mike, knowing Mike. Uh, uh, envious, perfect bodies and those, and those things own a home. I guess those people who own a home, you call them things. That's probably right. You know, we, we dehumanize people. <laughs> perfect bodies. I would love a perfect body. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Um, people who have had the vaccine. Yeah, people who can just go about and be like, you know what? Uh, all this stuff is fine, and now I'm good to go, and I don't have to worry about you know, catching coronavirus. Friendships. 
I always think people have a better or deeper relationship than me. Oh, man. Yes, I, I feel that one too. I think I'm sure other people do. Me time when kids are in bed. Every parent says that for sure. Envious of those who are locked down as I am so busy and I don't have time for myself. Yeah, we've all had different experiences lockdown, haven't we? Some of us really want to do things. Some of us just can't wait to not do something. Uh, jealous of neighbor's house. Yes. Man, when you live in Charlton, there will be no end to that. Family situations or relationships. To be really close with an immediate family. I would love to have that. But I, I don't, I mean, in our family we do, but I just don't have that with my mom and dad and, and our family. I am very envious of that. I've always been. Jealous of colleagues' promotion, especially if really you deserved it. Even if you don't have to be like, well, I guess I kind of deserved it. Like, maybe you really did deserve it, and that other person got the promotion. That's difficult, isn't it? Uh, the skills of others that I can't achieve, no matter time or effort investment. I really want to be this thing, but that's just not how I'm going to be. That's difficult. Oh. I'm envious of people who are outgoing and build relationships quickly, who people are always happy to see. Yeah, the people who are life of the party. Like, kind of always want to be that guy, right? Or that woman. Jealous of someone's peace. Just give me some peace at home. No, I love my family. It feels like I'm saying my family's bad. I, I really actually, now I'm going to like overdo it. Uh, I'm envious of people who are good at music. Yes, me too. <laughs> uh, yes, there's so many things. We could go on and on. We could, complete, we could list them on and on. All of us are in the same boat. We all want more relationships. We all want to be closer with people. We all want to be, have more talents. And the talents that we have, we want them all to be better. We all want to get that beautiful house. Maybe some people have that beautiful house. That's great that you do. What a gift from God. Not everybody is going to. It's just kind of how it is. We're all in different places, all in different stages. And, and I think if we don't talk about envy and jealousy, which, is, which, which will be our default mode, then how could we ever possibly think to move through it if we don't actually bring it up and talk through it? So how does the gospel um, interact with that? That's what we're going to get to. But first, before we get there, um, we're going to talk about how envy and jealousy hold us back. Because it could be something where, yeah, it's kind of bad, but at least you know it does fuel me for work. And so there's something helpful. So it's, maybe it's a necessary evil to have, like that envy or that jealousy or something. It's a little bit like um, if you've ever talked to or seen interviews of musicians who... Um, think that in order to really be super creative, they either have to have a mental illness, comedians are the same way, either have to have like a mental illness or a drug addiction, and it's those kind of things that really fuel their performance or really fuel their, um, their creativity. But in actuality, the question that is rarely asked of themselves is, what if you w- didn't have that thing holding you back, then what could you create? What if you weren't addicted to you know, hallucinogens? How would you think maybe you could create something then? Or what if you didn't have this debilitating mental illness? What could your stand-up routine be like then? There's a level of we think we need these things because they give us what we want. But really, like, maybe God's just been gracious in spite of that difficulty. And if you didn't have that difficulty, it'd be like releasing the floodwaters or something other um, even better to have in your life. I think, like art, life is best experienced as whole people. It brings out our best if we're whole. And the best lives come from the people who are most whole. So even if it made your art worse, it it made you less competitive at work, or whatever the thing might be, your life would be so much better if you were complete and whole, even if you were to take that risk. And with envy and jealousy, jealousy, ironically, they don't get us more of what we want, although we think that maybe they do. What they do is actually they destroy what we want. They destroy the enjoyment of the things, and they destroy the things themselves. It's like a, um, 
maybe, maybe here's a, like a stereotypical example, like a crooked hedge fund manager. No one likes the crooked hedge fund manager, right? Everyone hates bad bankers who are immoral and corrupt. That's a very easy person to be like, oh, those people are horrible. The way that often works for them is in, instead of working for clients, what they do is they end up stealing from those clients. Now, eventually, uh, I mean, it, it, I, they have to keep on doing it and keep on going. Eventually, they get found out and they get put in prison. Those are the ones we hear about. We don't hear about the ones that are crooked and never get caught. Um, but what happened for that crooked hedge fund manager is his envy, his jealousy, that didn't give him more freedom. It enslaved him. He had to satisfy his envy. He had to satisfy his jealousy by stealing from people, which eventually put him in a jail cell and really inhibited his freedom. But even as he was doing it, he wasn't truly free. He was held back by envy. He was held back by jealousy. He wasn't able to do what he wanted. He had to kind of serve this other thing. He had to serve those desires that led him down the wrong path. Now, I wonder if maybe all of us have a little bit of that crooked hedge fund manager inside of all of us, satisfying envy and jealousy in ways that we kind of are not really happy about. In Psalm 73, verses 18 through 20, I'll just read it real quick. It says, uh, Surely you place them on slippery ground. Talking to people who don't follow God. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes, when you arise, Lord. You will despise them as fantasies. Like a dream, as fantasies. That life you envy, that one you're jealous of, that's not reality. That's a fantasy. That's a dream. It's just not even a a thought. It's even less than a thought. So when we're envious, in reality, we're envious not of something real, but of a dream. When we're jealous, in reality, what we're fighting to hold on to is just something that's not going to last anyway. It's even remembered as a dream. This guy's looking back on what it was like. It's not even remembered as something better. I mean, we get stuck living in some kind of fantasy world, living in... A fantasy world is never good for anybody. That's, we, want, we need reality to kind of break in our lives, to break in and to set us right. You know, I, I, I hear, and you do too, I'm sure, this all the time. It can be like, just wait until I blank, then I will feel good and everything will be good. Like whatever the thing might be, just wait until I get that promotion, just wait until I make that house move, just wait until whatever the thing is, my family looks like this, the house looks like this, whatever it is that we're chasing, just wait until that, then everything is going to be okay. When all your hope is in that thing, it's never going to measure up. It will never measure up. It's not good enough. You're meant for more for whatever that small little thing is. That could be a career move, getting married, when the pandemic is behind us. Just wait until the pandemic's over. Then we'll get back to normal life. No, it's going to be really hard, really difficult. Now let's just say, like all these things we've been talking about, and this is why it's hard, I think, all these things are really good things. Getting married, pandemic being over, whatever the thing is, those are all great. And I think that's why it's hard. But sometimes we can let the glow of good things blind us. The glow of good things can blind us. So a good thing ceases to become a good thing and becomes an ultimate thing. And that's where we get our orders, our our loves disordered inside of us. We spend time building up in our heads because we think about it a lot. We ruminate over it. We kind of like almost obsess over it. We think about it before we go to bed. We think about it right when we wake up. We work for it. We spend time for it, money on it, whatever it is. And it's easy with good things at some point, instead of them serving you, you end up serving it. And now you're sacrificing to this new God you just made up. And what is it? It's a fantasy. It's not real. It's a fantasy. We thought that career would give us this thing, 
Well, it, I mean, it was good, but it wasn't as good as the glow. The glow of the good thing, we never really get. Now, our response here isn't to think that maybe the good thing wasn't the perfect thing when we're kind of in it. What we do instead is, if that glow doesn't deliver in the way that we really wanted to, ah, oh, the problem's with me. Yeah, I didn't work for it hard enough. Or maybe it's not this career move, but the next career move. Maybe it's not getting married, but maybe it's like having kids. Maybe, whatever the thing is. Maybe it's we, not this house, it's a house once we've renovated. It always ends up being something... The problem is with me, with it being too small, so I need to actually put more time in it instead of asking, hold on, should I even like be spending that much time kind of involving myself in that thing to begin with? I mean, maybe it's a really good thing, but it's maybe not the best thing. Maybe the problem doesn't rely on our, it doesn't um, depend on ourselves, giving ourselves to, to whatever that thing is. Maybe it's the thing itself is never going to come through for us in the way that we want. To squeeze the life out of our family to give us meaning that it's never going to give us or the career, or whatever it is. All along, we were chasing a fantasy. Now, we will all be happy when the pandemic is over. All of us are going to be happy. But a vaccine is not good enough to solve your problems. It's just not. You need something way better than that. You're meant for more. You're going to still have issues of isolation. You'll just be more in control of them now. And so now you'll feel the weight even more. And that guilt and shame, you think that's going to make you get out more? No, it's going to give you more of an excuse to not get out more and to stay more isolated as we were before. But let's not base our lives on fantasies. Let's firmly stand in the real world. This is the wonderful gift that the Bible gives us. This is the world as it is. You can embrace that or you can live in some kind of fantasy world. As difficult as it is, I want to live in the real world. So let's look maybe what life can look like beyond envy and beyond jealousy. And this is towards the end of Psalm 28 or um, 73. Um, actually, let's read. To, I'm going to not read together because we can't do that yet. Here's verse 23. I'll read it to the end. Yet I am always with you. So this is a guy who's firmly calling himself a brute of a beast because he's realizing kind of how envious and jealous he is. And then in the, this next verse, verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Why am I chasing after all these things? Who am I in he- Who am I? Who have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. According, like, from the desire that I have for God, that nothing on this world even compares to, for him to say, I don't even have any other desires except for the desire that I have in God. My flesh and my heart may fail. Let's be honest, yeah, they will fail. But God is the strength of my heart. God is my portion forever. That's a, it will be my satisfaction. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me... It's good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. So how to live a life beyond envy and jealousy is the presence and the power of God. That's what these verses are saying. The presence and the power of God. Let's first talk about the presence of God holding us. This is verses 23 and 24. I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. After you take me into glory. This is very kind of intimate. This is God actually holding the, uh, the Asaph by his hand. This is rooted in, in reality, not the kind of flimsy fantasy that we've seen. God's presence guides us. Instead of our blind ambition, we can have God guiding us and telling us where to go. And also we get a place to go. He, afterward, which is when I die, you will take me into glory. A destination far better than the glow of good things is glory. 
Glory is another way of saying like, it's almost like the, um, the aura of God's presence. Kind of like the, if God is present, there's a glory there that comes. It's almost like a light that's flicked on. The glory is what fills that room. When God comes into a room, His glory fills that room. That's, kind, that's what we need to be having going on in our hearts. Being taken into glory, ultimately, is when we get to see God face to face. And we are, when we are kind of with Him, do we desire that? Could we say, like, who am I, have I in heaven but you? Nothing in this world even compares to my love for you, my, my want for more of your presence in my life. I don't know if we really even think about it that much. Like, when we are with God in the new heavens and earth, it's said there's no need for the sun because God's glory illuminates everything, like, even physically. Of course, how do we even interpret that in Revelation? That's a big question. I'll let you guys handle that one. We'll, we'll get through that some other time. But the same can be true. If that's true what's going on in the new heavens and earth, the same can be true here on earth. When God is around, he illuminates everything. His presence illuminates everything. And in order to know what the real world is like, we need his presence. Otherwise, we're in the dark, and it's a fantasy world. In God's presence, there's glory. So we have the presence of God, and also we have the power of God keeps us going. When we fail, because we will, God's the one who gives us strength and satisfaction. This is uh, verse 26. My flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In envy and jealousy, we will fail. There is no backup when we fail, when we're living in envy and jealousy, because it's all on us. We will always fail, but for those who follow God, we get strength. The power of God keeps us going. And our portion, that verse there, what does that mean? God be my portion forever. That's not something I use in kind of normal language. Christina, you are my portion. Like that's just probably sounds romantic, but like what does that mean? Well, it means satisfaction. It means contentment. We talked about rest kind of when we begin. That's a, there's a rest that comes regardless of whatever circumstances might be going on. If God is our portion, it doesn't matter really what else is going on. We can be contented and restful in everything. Even in our failure, we can be content. We can survive and thrive because what we're seeking isn't some kind of incremental change to our pay slips or something like that, but the presence of God himself. And he gives that freely to us. Now this kind of satisfaction isn't promised to those who are far from God. This is a promise for those who follow him, for his people. He is our satisfaction and he will keep us going in his power. And this is why we pray and work for people who don't know him yet. This is why we do what we do. Because we want more people to experience that contentment. And when we do, when we have the presence and the power of God together, what that gives us, regardless of our circumstances, it gives us a, 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 a resilient faith that allows us to have a delight with God, regardless of whatever might be going on. That's something more than duty. That's something that like, is more than, oh, because I have to do this, because this is, I'm a Christian, this is what we do, or what will other Christians think of me? This is, I mean, maybe those things are going on, but this is also... Because I get to do this. I get to come together on Sunday, either you know, online or in person, whatever it is, and hear from God and his people together. That's an amazing thing. That's different than having to do it. It's a delight, something that overcomes us. Verse 28, As for me, it is good to be near God. It's a delight. It's good. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. See, delight is a choice. This, the writer sees all these other things going on, just as we do. He says, but as for me. So delight isn't something that we just kind of fall into. Delight is a choice that we get. 
Like all these other people seem to be having great lives. But as for me, I'm going to live this way and that's going to give me a delight that I really need. Now think of the journey uh, this psalm has taken in, in like 28 short verses. We have in the very beginning, he's envious of people who are, as he describes, as wicked. And he, basically he wants to be like them. And the last verse, he's talking about how much God satisfies him. There's a lot of stuff going on here. And I think that spiritual journey probably took longer in this person than it was for us to read it as we did this morning. It's something we're going to constantly be in, constantly go through. But I think this is a great way to process envy and jealousy in our own lives, to be able to just kind of read through this and meditate on it more closely than like a half hour might have for us. And if God is our refuge, that gives us a foundation to weather ups and downs that might come. And that gives us a person to give our envy and jealousy to. Because otherwise, where we, if we throw it out ourselves, it will always come back to us. And it will always be on us to sort out what to do with it. But if another person says, no, here, let me take that, then we don't have it anymore. That's what Jesus does in our lives. A vision of a God-orientated life, of His presence and power, allows us to refocus on reality. Frees us from those fantasy worlds, allows us to refocus on reality, to put our feet on solid ground. And a life where we delight in the Lord leads to ambition. We talked about ambition already. This is a different kind of ambition. It leads to a more powerful work within us than envy and jealousy can even think to offer. Now, sadly, I think lots of churches, and maybe even us, maybe we're even guilty of this, unconsciously preach and teach kind of bland mediocrity. Like, you have to be kind of nice, maybe give a little bit of money, you know, show up to these things every now and then. As long as you do that, you're good, and people are kind of happy about that. And anything that's not nice or not offensive, like that's the route we're going to go as a church. Now, combined with all of our own like, internal leanings towards complacency, just not really wanting to do stuff, that makes for a really sleepy faith. And even like really kind of shallow experience of Christianity, if it is an experience of Christianity at all. See, I think Marx was almost right, saying religion is the opiate of the masses. I think what it really is true, empty religion is the opiate of the masses. Empty religion keeps us dumb, keeps us living in a fantasy world, and also feels like we get God off our back, so we can kind of do whatever we want to do. But a relationship with Jesus really wakes us up, wakes us up to reality. So maybe your faith is a little sleepy. Are you ambitious for the Lord? I don't know, can I say, am I really ambitious for the Lord? For his presence? Am I ambitious for God's presence to be made known? even in my own life, let alone in other people's lives? For his power to work through me? Are you ambitious for God's power to work through you? That's something that you pray for often for yourself, that you desire, that you really want to delight in. There's a quote from one of the books um, that we've been going through in this series. Uh, it says, to, de- to desire heaven is not to desire earth less. It is to desire earth so deeply that it draws our heart to an anticipation of ecstasy and light of God's embrace. To desire heaven is not to desire earth less. It's not like we forget about what's going on in this world. But it's to desire earth so deeply that it draws our heart to an anticipation of ecstasy and the light of God's embrace. That's delight. That's God's presence. That's how God's power works its way through us. And there will be no renewal in our lives There'll be no renewal in our little church. There'll be no renewal in our neighborhood, in our city, in our, in our country without the ambition to live in God's presence and to see his power be working through us. 
I mean, there's a reason why we pray, and you might have seen this when you walked in, there's a reason why we pray in Manchester as in heaven. Like, this is like a hopeful yearning, a crying out for God to make his ways known on earth that is not known yet. Jesus taught us to pray that way, on earth as it is in heaven. And for us, our earth is Manchester. So in Manchester, as it is in heaven. This is why we pray this. We want to see more of God's presence, more of God's power being worked out. And if that's not in us, what kind of hope can we have? Now, if delighting in the Lord leads to an ambitious life, but also envy and jealousy can lead to ambition, how do we know where we are? Like, How do we know which one we're working out of? Because you can be very religious and still be super envious and have that be your fuel. You can be a pastor and be super jealous and have that be your fuel. Believe me, that's a very easy thing to do. So how can we tell the difference? Well, basically the difference between, what is the difference between delight in the Lord and blind ambition? Because one's holy, the other one is not. The other one's unholy. How can we tell? I think what it all comes down to is this. What we seek to possess and whom we seek to serve. What are we seeking to possess and whom are we seeking to serve? Are we seeking to possess other people? Are we seeking to possess comfort for ourselves? Are we seeking to possess God's presence? Because that looks really different. Who are we seeking to serve? Are we seeking to serve ourselves? We could even kind of selfishly serve our neighborhood because you know we benefit from that, right? We could selfishly serve this pub. We benefit from that. But if we're seeking to serve God, that looks really different. Or at least it comes from a different place. Outwardly, you may not be able to tell until you can see someone's heart. But you know within yourself when you're acting out of one or the other if you take a moment to reflect. So are we seeking more of God's presence or more of my comfort? Guarding family time can be either. You can guard your family time and really be seeking God's presence. Or you can uh, seek to guard family time and really be working out of, out of jealousy, an, an abusive kind of form of jealousy. Having alone time can be either. Working for that promotion or not working for that promotion can be either. What are you seeking to possess? Who are you seeking to serve? Now, if you're in a relationship, are you working on your relationship because of God and wanting to experience more of His glory through that other person and through what you have together? Or are you just doing it because it's just kind of easier to live that way? Or because you're doing it for yourself? This really alters how we go through conflicts. Because if you're seeking ultimately for God's glory... We're going to say things and go through conflicts and go through difficulties that we wouldn't normally otherwise because that's not an easier road to begin with, although long-term it is. It alters how you spend your money. It alters everything. For your career, are you seeking the Lord through it, recognizing He has given you gifts and the best way for you to work those gifts out hopefully is in in the jobs and the careers that we have. But are you using it as if to bring Him glory, wanting to see more of heaven and earth meet together? Because that's true of all, of all jobs. Or are you merely kind of putting time in, clocking in and clocking out? Or on the other side, are you wanting to achieve to make yourself feel better because you don't really believe that God could possibly be in love with you? The difference between the ambition that comes from delight in the Lord and the blind ambition that comes from envy and jealousy is about what we seek to possess and whom we seek to serve. Now the only hope, we, if we ended the sermon there, the answer would be, do better. Figure it out, do better, try harder, be more Christian, be more holy, whatever the thing is. That's not really good news. That's really bad news because we can't do better. That's the reason why we're all here. So there's another element that, is, that I think we have to talk about, which is the only hope we, can, we have of being saved from envy, being saved from jealousy, kind of working out that way. The only hope we have is rooted in a jealous God, in God who calls himself jealous. In fact, he even says, my name is jealous. 
we talk about how God talks about himself being jealous. Uh, he says, uh, this is in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, pretty big part of Scripture. That's not like one of those weird kind of Levitical things that we're like, oh, that's weird. Why can't you mark yourself or whatever the thing is? Why can't you wear two cloths of different you know, materials? This is a biggie, Ten Commandments. Do not worship any other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, as a jealous God. He's not just saying I'm jealous. My name is Jealous. This is how like, important jealousy is to God. Shocking. Now, God's jealousy is different than our jealousy because he's God and we're not. And there's abusive jealousy that we talked about, seeking to kind of protect what you think is yours, whether it is or not, in kind of um, an an um, over-helicopter parent kind of way. But then there's also a protective jealousy. There's a good side of jealousy. See, God wants to protect his children. A metaphor for his people is sometimes used as bride, often in the Bible. as if God is a groom and we're the bride and we're getting married to God, which is kind of what the new heavens and earth is all about, this big, huge, massive marriage celebration of God and his people. See, God is not down with open relationships. He doesn't like the idea of his bride going out and having sex with all sorts of other people all the time. His relationship to us in marriage, it's it's exclusive. We're only made for him, just as he's made for us. Just as if you would be rightly jealous if your spouse is cheating on people all the time, so God is when we cheat on him. And every time we aren't satisfied in him and we go somewhere else, every time he, he isn't our portion, something else is going to be our portion. When we give in to unholy envy and jealousy, we're cheating on him. See, we are the unfaithful partner in this marriage relationship. And we don't have time to go there this morning, but there's so many times, especially in the prophets, I mean, read the first 10 chapters of Jeremiah. So many times where our uh, wrongdoing, God is basically calling adultery, spiritual adultery. And there's kind of, the first 10 chapters of Jeremiah, some of it is kind of like racy, R-rated, even like kind of beyond that of how God talks about how horrible we are in our own sin. It's kind of disturbing the imagery that's used there. But it's, I think that's important to know that God doesn't shy back from reality. He it graphically describes how when we basically, spiritually, sleep with anyone we can, whenever we can, if given the opportunity. Whenever we give ourselves to someone other than God, that's what we're doing. And that kind of life is not good for us. We would say that if we were counseling somebody who was a serial cheater on their spouse, we'd say, that's a really bad way to live. That's not really a whole way to live. That's kind of an incomplete way to live. Don't do that. It's bad for you. It's bad for your spouse. It's bad for your family. And God wants what's best for us. God wants to protect us. He doesn't want to go see us go off and do those things. He wants to see us thrive. So instead of being held down by envy and jealousy, he wants us to live in delight, in joy, in peace. And God will go to great lengths to make that happen. And God knows that if he didn't do something, we would always be stuck in our sexual addiction to all these kind of spiritual adulteries. And envy and jealousy and being unfaithful, kind of as Psalm 73 talks about. So because of that, the Father had to send the Son in order to free us. There was no other way. He had to send the Son in order to make things right, in order to make us right. And God is so protective of us, is so jealous for our good, in a positively jealous way, that He sacrificed Himself for us. He doesn't require us to sacrifice ourselves for Him. He's the one who does it. He does all the hard work. He does all the heavy lifting. Luke 13.34 talks about when Jesus is looking over the city of Jerusalem And uh, he sees people who are lost, and he says this, 
Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent, you, who sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. He's longing for that protective jealousy. That's a good thing to be included in that. See, God longs for our exclusivity. He longs for our devotion. He's jealous for it. And when God is devoted, he's devoted to making us devoted. It's only his power working through us. God is devoted to making us devoted. And that's what wholeness looks like. Our lack of devotion leaves us incomplete, as much as that partner who's kind of cheating over and over again. In order for all this to happen, our envy and jealousy had to be shut away, had to be put to death. And that's what Jesus did when he died. He buried our envy. He buried our jealousy. It's in the tomb. It's done. It didn't come out, unlike him. And in his resurrection, his longings have been made real because now he gathers his children together as a hen with chicks, like under protective wing, so that even shaded from the sun. And we get to be willing. We get to be delighted to be a part of this because God himself resides in us, in our hearts, continually pointing us away from ourselves and continually pointing to the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God in us, the power of God in us, and He allows us to live a life devoted to wholeness. And this wonderful way of life, of walking with Jesus, it doesn't stop with us. It's not like just something that only happens in us. It overflows. And that's actually the very last verse in Psalm 73 I will tell of all your deeds. As for me, it's good to be near God. And I'm going to tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will tell of all your deeds. It doesn't stop with us. It keeps going as we get to tell other people.